Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. According to this uh, part two, we say what is on God's heart? So I guess maybe the, a good starting point is to ask the question, does God have a heart? Does he have a heart just like we do? What does the word say about God having a heart? So I'm going to read the first verse I'm going to read. is coming from Genesis chapter, five, chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 to 6 from the New King James Version. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 to 6 from the New King James Version. It says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent and the thoughts, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6 says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So we can see um, this is the first instance uh, recorded in the Bible where the heart is mentioned. And we can see, first of all, God talks about the heart of man, which was evil continually. Then it also finishes verse 6 by, says, by saying that God was grieved in his heart. So that gives us an indication that God does have a heart. Then I'm going to read from Acts chapter 13, verse 22 from the New King James Version. Acts chapter 13, from verse 22, from the New King James Version, it says, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. So in this instance, this is God talking about David as a man after his own heart. Now going back to last week, we defined, we, we, in fact, we, we went through different components of what, the, what, what comprises the heart. We said your heart contains your mind because we hear Jesus in another place talking to people and he says, why do you think evil in your heart? So your mind, your thoughts are part of your heart. We know that your will, your intentions, your desires, your purpose is also part of your heart. We also know that your feelings and emotions, like we, hear, like we read from uh, Genesis chapter 5, God was grieved. Grief is a feeling, is an emotion. So that means in his heart, God felt something which was grief in that moment when he saw the wickedness of man. That is what he felt. So that was part of his heart. So now, given that background that we have from last week, that the heart comprises of all these things. Now, the heart of God is the essence of who he is, what he desires, his will, his purpose, what's on his mind, based on what we discussed last week. So that means the heart of God is the essence of, what, of who he is, what he desires, his will, his purpose, what's on his mind. That is what is 
That's, 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 that, that is what the heart of God is, according to the word and according to how we defined the heart last week. Now, we need to realize that when God created us, he wasn't bored. He wasn't bored. He wasn't just looking for some people to just uh, create and then do whatever he wants them to do. There definitely was a purpose to him creating us, and we know what that purpose is from the book of Genesis. His purpose when he created us was for us to know him and also to make him known. Because remember, he created Adam and Eve. There were two people. They were going to come people after them. Those people, Adam and Eve knew God from the beginning. But those that were to come after them needed to also know God. How were they to know God if there was no one to tell them who God is? So his purpose was for us to know him and for him to be known. That means that was the purpose that God created us for relationship with him. That is the primary purpose of why we were created. Now I, I just want to say according to the word, we know that God would have wanted us to know what's on his heart. So how did he do that? How did he come to a place where he can show us and express what is on his heart? He had a plan from the beginning. He saw the end from the beginning. So what did he do? He gave us Jesus. So whatever, whatever you see on Jesus' heart is exactly what is on God's heart. Whatever you see on Jesus' heart is exactly what is on God's heart. Because the Bible says Jesus is the true representation of who God is. Now I'll read from John chapter 14, verse 9 from the New King James. John chapter 14 from verse 9 from the King James, it says, Jesus said to him, he was saying, he was talking to, to Philip. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known, known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? This is a part where Philip came to Jesus and says, Lord, show us the Father. And then Jesus said, have I been so long with you that you, you haven't even known me? Whoever has seen Jesus has seen the Father, because Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. There are several verses that talk about that. Hebrews chapter 1 is also another one, but I'm not going to go there. But I'll go to, instead to the same, same book of John, chapter 1, verse 18 from the Passion Translation. John chapter 1, verse 18. We just want to establish here that whatever you see on Jesus' heart is exactly what is on God's heart. Right, John chapter 1, verse 18 from the Passion Translation says, No one ever before gazed upon the full splendor of God except his uniquely beloved Son, who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now that he has come to us, he has unfolded the full explanation of who God 
truly is. One of the mistakes that we make in the Bible is that, particularly when we read the Old Testament, is that we, we tend to want to read the Bible without putting on the lens of Jesus. Because the Bible here says, Jesus came and he says, if you want to know the Father, know me. Whoever knows me will know the Father. So now here John writes, after the fact, after having walked a journey with Jesus and says, no one knew God before. That's what he was saying. No one knew God before. But now that Jesus has come, he has come and he has unveiled who God truly is. I was really blessed two weeks ago when Etienne was sharing um, and he mentioned uh, a time when, his, uh, where, when, Je- when the disciples of Jesus came to him and says, uh, Jesus, do you want us to call fire so that we can burn these people? And then Jesus said to them, you do not know what manner of spirit you have. That was quite interesting because here we we read of a prophet who was a prophet of God, who was Elijah, one of the greatest prophets we read from the Bible. He called fire from heaven and he killed the the, the prophets of, um, I think it's Baal, right? And then the disciples wanted to do exactly the same and then Jesus said, you don't know what manner of spirit that is. That means that it's very much possible that we read something from the Old Testament without the full revelation of who God is and try and emulate that without putting on the lens of Jesus and think that is God. That actually shows us that that was not God's desire for those prophets to die the way that they died because Jesus could not even condone that. And yet it's something that we read from the Bible which oftentimes we've used in our own ways to say, oh, I'm going to call fire from heaven and God is going to bend all those people. But that is not, that is not who God is, which, which, which really opened up my eyes to what great Bible study is really all about. Great Bible study starts with Jesus. If we don't start with Jesus, then we can never really get the full understanding of what was written from the old to the new. We can only truly understand who God is when we see God through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, going back to the issue of the heart. Now that we've established that whatever we see in Jesus is exactly the true representation of who God is, then the question is, what is on Jesus' heart? What is on Jesus' heart? The first thing that I will mention what is on Jesus' heart is our salvation. We read from one of the most popular verses that we've grown to know if you grow up in a Christian setting. John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved. We know that you shall love the Lord from your heart. That is what was on God's heart. That is what was on Jesus' heart when he came down on earth to die for us so that we can have everlasting life. 
our salvation is first and foremost the primary purpose of why Jesus came. And that is what was on Jesus' mind. And we know that Jesus himself said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That is the primary purpose. And remember I said when God created us, he had a purpose for us. That is to know him and for him to be known. When we read about everlasting life, oftentimes we think about living forever. But Jesus himself in John chapter 17 verse 2 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. So that means eternal life starts with relationship with God, knowing him, just like the way we were created. So Jesus came to establish or to re-establish the purpose that God had for mankind from the beginning, which was interrupted by sin when Adam and Eve then fell in the Garden of Eden. That purpose was for a moment interrupted by sin, but then Jesus came in to, to re-establish that connection, that relationship that was severed because of sin. So our salvation, first and foremost, primarily forms the reason why uh, the, the, the purpose that Jesus came for, which is the primary purpose that is what is on, on Jesus' heart. So whatever is on Jesus' heart is on God's heart, which is our salvation. Then we also know that from the Bible that Jesus went around, he healed the sick, healed the brokenhearted, he did all manner of signs and wonders and miracles for people. That is also on Jesus' heart. Because we know that it is not God's will for you to be sick. Because everyone who came to Jesus was healed. Every single person who came to Jesus was healed. So healing and restoration and freedom is also part of what is on Jesus' heart. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 to 19 from the Amplified. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 to 19 from the Amplified version says, the Spirit, of God, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah, because he has anointed me to preach the good news. Preaching the good news, that's what's on Jesus' heart. To the, uh, to the poor, he has sent me to announce the release, the pardon and forgiveness to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the favor of God abound greatly. We know when we read this, we are reading this in past tense because Jesus was yet to accomplish the full meaning and revelation of what this verse said, which was the verse taken from Isaiah. And we know that Jesus went on to die on the cross for us and established that salvation, that forgiveness that we now freely receive every single person who has believed. So right here I'm just trying to establish what is on Jesus' heart. 
Because if we know, if and when we know what is on Jesus' heart, then we will be able to know what is on God's heart. Now the question is, the next question I'm going to ask is, can we know God's heart? Is it, is it even possible for us to know what's on God's heart? I think that becomes pretty obvious given where I've started. Can we know God's heart? The question would be yes, firstly, through his written word. Like we've just read, we've read what is on Jesus' heart, our salvation, the healing of the sick, the restoration, the setting of free, the healing of the blind, all that. That is what is on Jesus' heart. So we know God's will based on, on what was written in his word, the written word. But then again, our salvation goes beyond just us being forgiven of our sins because there's another element to it, which is the spirit of God living in man. So how do we know God's heart? Again, not only just through the written word, but through the Spirit of God. The mistake that we make oftentimes is that is thinking that if we read the, what's written, then we actually know. Many people know the Bible, but many people actually don't know God. We can see that clearly from the religious people of Jesus' time, how they knew scripture from, from Genesis to Malachi by heart, or by head. They knew that scripture, but they actually didn't know God. We hear Jesus in another place saying to them, you are busy searching in the scriptures looking for eternal life. That is, you're busy looking in the scripture, looking for that relationship with God, and yet I am standing right in front of you and you can't even see me. So they had had knowledge of what the scripture was, but they had no understanding whatsoever of who God was, because Jesus stood right in front of them and he says, I am the eternal life that you're looking for in the scripture, and yet you can't even recognize me. So it is good. The written word helps us, gives us a foundation of knowing who God is, but we can truly, we can only truly know who God is through the spirit of God inside of us. That's when we can truly know God because anyone can read the Bible but not anyone will know God by just reading the Bible. The Bible is like a guideline of showing us who God is. It's like God explaining himself to us. But knowing what has been written and truly understanding it and capturing it in your heart, these are two different things. You can only truly understand God and know God by the revelation of the Spirit. And that is why when we are saved, not only our sins are forgiven, but we are given the Spirit of God so that we can truly know and understand who God is, which is very important. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 to 12. Then I'll skip also to verse chapter 14 from the Passion Translation. It says, After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's 
spirit. Our spirits are the ones that truly know us because our spirits are the real us. That is what remains after what we see, the body, is gone. So who can truly know, can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? So it is with God. His thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by the spirit, by his spirit, the spirit of God. So that means if you truly want to know who God is, then you need to know what he's, you, you, you can only truly know God through his spirit. Because his, spirits know, your, his spirit knows who God is, the Holy Spirit. Now it goes on and it says in verse 12, For we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but the spirit of God. Which is amazing because now, not only have we been saved, but now we have received God's spirit. That means with God's spirit, we can know who God is. So that we might come to understand and experience all that grace is lavished upon us. Verse 14 says, someone living on, entirely, on an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's spirit for they, know, for, for they make no sense to him. He can't understand the revelation of the spirit because they are only discovered through the illumination of the spirit. And I'll, and I'll re reiterate this and say that the only way to truly know and understand who God is is by knowing and understanding him through his spirit. And thank God when we got saved, God gave us a new heart and a new spirit. But it wasn't just a new spirit which is different in you and different in me, but it's the same spirit which is his spirit. Why would you think God would give us his spirit? It's so that we can know him. That's why God would give us his spirit. Otherwise, if he wanted us to know ourselves, then he would have just remained. We would have just remained with our own spirit. But he gave us all the same spirit, which is his spirit, so that we can know, truly know and understand who he is. And the Bible says now, you can never understand God except through the spirit. You can never understand God except through the spirit. And we know that the Spirit is part of God's heart. Now, his mind also is part of his heart. Verse, verse 16 from the New King James Version, it then says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So that question that you see there, the first part of that verse, For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him. That is actually a, a, a question that was asked by Isaiah. This is a quotation from the book of Isaiah. Who has known the mind of Christ, or, or, who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? Then the second part of that verse is the explanation of that verse in Isaiah, which Paul wrote and he says, 
but we have the mind of Christ. So Isaiah asked a question and no one could answer him. After Christ came, after Christ came and revealed who God is and revealed the heart of the Father, then Paul went so, goes on and he writes and he says, now we can answer this question that Isaiah put up and says, who can know God? Who can know the mind of the Lord? And Paul writes and says, but we have the mind of Christ. Whoever has the mind of Christ has the mind of God and therefore knows God. Therefore knows what's on his heart. So we can truly know God. Now in light of this message, in light of this, what is the message to us? In light of everything that we've just read now, that God has a heart, that if we know what's on Jesus' heart, then we know what's on God's heart. That we can also understand who God is, we can also understand what's on God's heart. So in light of all that, what is the message to all of us? I'll read from Psalm chapter 40, verse 7 to, um, 7 to 10 from the voice. Psalm chapter 40, verse 7 to 10 from the voice translation. It says, So I said, See, I have come to do your will as it is inscribed of me in the scroll. When, he, when it says, as it is inscribed of me in the scroll, if you read other versions, it talks about as it is inscribed of me in the scriptures. So basically, he's referring to Genesis 2, Malachi. So, see, I have come to do your will as it is inscribed of me in the scriptures. What, what does he go on to say, David? He says, I am pleased to live how you want, my God. Your law is urged into my heart and my soul. I have encouraged your people with the message of righteousness, in your great assembly, look and see, I have kept quiet. I haven't kept quiet about these things. You know this, O eternal one. I have not kept your righteousness to myself. Sealed up in the secret places of my heart, instead, I boldly tell others how you save me and how you are loyal to me. I haven't been shy to talk about your love nor have I been afraid to tell your truth before the great assembly of your people. When I came across this verse, this actually really challenged me because here David acknowledges that we have a righteousness that we have received from God and that it is very much possible to receive that righteousness and live forever with it just hidden inside of us. But here David writes and he says, I have not kept your righteousness to myself. Sealed up in the secret places of my heart. Instead, I boldly tell others how you save and how you're loyal to me. This, is, this more sounds like the message that we've been hearing, particularly from Grace Life, that says, we thank God for his salvation. We thank God that we have all been saved. But it's not just enough to keep this to yourself. That's what this verse kind of sounds like. That thank God for the righteousness that is inside of me. Yes, I have it eternally. It's deep inside my heart. But I have, but David says, but I haven't kept that righteousness to myself. I boldly tell others how you save me and how they can also be saved. Remember what I said from the beginning. God's purpose was for him to be known, for, for us to know him and for him to be known. 
That is the same message that we boldly proclaim now, which is exactly what is on God's heart. What's on God's heart is so that we may know Christ, we may know God, and that when we know him, he can also tell others about it. That is what, what is primarily on God's side, and that is what we can do with all this information that we've just shared now. So this is not something that we just have to do because the Bible says so. It should not be like that, but it should really be something that is birthed from the love of Christ. Paul writes and says, but the love of Christ compels me to preach the gospel, compels me to share the message that has impacted my life with other people. It should never come from any other place except for the love of Christ. Because if we have to go and share the gospel because the Bible says so, there's also nothing wrong with that because people are going to get saved. But there's really no blessing for you because now you're doing it out of obligation. There's no obligation. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for salvation. Once you're saved, you are sealed for eternity. But you miss out on the blessing of sharing this wonderful message that has served you so that when you, when you don't share it with others. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it with others. I'm going to read a verse which I believe we've read, several, we've had several times being preached from the pulpit. If you're part of the Multiply Conference with Pastor Isaac, this was shared several times. And I know for the past, this past year, we've been reading about this verse a lot. And it's, it's also exactly the same message that I'm going to be sharing now, that I've just shared now, which is, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, New King James Version, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, that means, that is what is on God's, that's, that's what God desires, that is his will, that is what's on his heart. We remember when we, when we talked about the heart, we say, the heart of God is the essence of who he is, what he wills, what he desires, what is on his mind, what he purposes. He purposed us to know him and for others to be known, for, for us to know him and uh, for, for him to, make, to, to be known by others as well. And now this is what then Tim, uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is ultimately what's on God's heart for us, for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, God, God desires for you to have a good job, for you to be healed, for you to live in a nice house, wear nice clothes. Those things are not bad at all. But what should really capture our hearts is what's on his heart. We know that even the world has all these things. And as we come to a close, I'll be closing in a few minutes, but as we come to a close, I want us to really start thinking about 
where our hearts are because that's really the title of the series. I know this two-part series doesn't do justice to all this information I've just shared. It's something that we could have fleshed out over a longer period of time, but I just really wanted us to get to the most important things that we have to know about our hearts and what's on God's heart. For all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, can we accomplish his will? Can we? Remember, I asked initially, can we know his will? And we said, yes, through his word and through his spirit. But can we accomplish it? Do we have the ability to accomplish God's will on earth? Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will, to desire, and to do, to act on that will and that desire for his good pleasure. So remember when I said that we don't have to do it out of obligation, we don't have to do it out of our own strength, God knew that from the beginning as well. And not only did he supply the desire and the will to share this message with others, but he also gave us the ability to do it. So it's not just a matter of, okay, now God has given me a desire. I have to find out how I, have to, how I can accomplish this. God says, for it is God, the Bible says it is God who works in you. So God is actually working that desire inside of you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we were not left alone. That's why we have to completely rely on the Spirit to know him, to know what his desire is, for him to work that desire into our hearts. And not only that, but when that desire has been worked out into our hearts the power to accomplish it. Jesus could not have done what he did on earth if he didn't have the Spirit of God. We should remember that Jesus was a man just like us. The difference in the time that he lived is that he had the Spirit of God. Everyone else did not have the Spirit of God like Jesus had. But I thank God because we read during um, time when we finished worship that as he is, Jesus, right now, so are we in this world. That means there's no more limitation as to can I do it? Can I know the will of God? Can I accomplish the will of God? Yes, you can. You can know the will of God and you can accomplish it because you can do all things through the Spirit of God. And that is the true application of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is the true application of it. We can do and accomplish these things only through the Spirit of God that is inside of us. Now as we come to a close, um, I'm going to ask the question now again, just like I asked last week. Where is your heart? It's good that we, we've talked about these things. We have defined what the heart is. 
what comprises the heart. It's good that we have established that God is a heart. It's good that we have established what God's, what's on God's heart through Jesus Christ. It's good that we've established that we can know what's on God's heart. It's good that we've established that we can actually accomplish what's on God's heart through the Spirit. Now the question is, what is on your heart? Or where is your heart, rather? Where is your heart? And I'll end with uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 from the Amplified. It says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart, and then it explains your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers will be also. So, if you want to know where your heart is, think about what your wishes are. What do you wish right now? If you were to be honest with yourself, what are you wishing right now? What are you wishing for? What are you desiring right now in your life? Or rather, what's the center, what's at the center of your life? And one way to quickly know and understand where your heart really stands is, think about time. In 24 hours, let's say you sleep eight hours, what about the 16 hours? What are you busy with? I know I'm working. <laughs> I know I'm working, but, 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 but thank God, because we, the way that God made us is that I can... One of the best illustrations someone ever gave me of meditation was worry. That is the best um, explanation of what meditation is, looks like. Worry. Do you know that you can literally be on your desk working, producing reports, replying to emails, doing whatever you do on your computer, or whether, I, I don't know, maybe some, some of you don't work in an office, whatever it is that you spend your day doing, whether you're in construction or whatever, I don't know what it, whatever it is. You can be there doing what needs to be done at your job and effectively doing it but worrying about the school fees, worrying about the mortgage the whole day. Your body is physically there doing what needs to be done, but your mind is not. That is what meditation is. Worry is a very good example of meditation, that we can be there physically, but not there. So, thinking about going back to time, what are we busy with? I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying stop whatever it is that you're doing in life as your vocation and all that, but ultimately, what does that all that, what does it all add up to in light of eternity? If we read the verses, I think just before that, when Jesus was saying, 
Jesus was saying, lay up for, your tr for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume. Then he goes on and he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what is at the center of your life? What are you wishing for? What are you desiring? Where are you spending your time? And guess what? Where are you spending your money as well? Also shows what you want, what you desire. None of us will buy things that we don't like. Maybe sometimes, but, <laughs> but generally, we will spend money on things that we value. We will generally spend money on things that we desire. That, that your, your, your spending is also a, a reflection of what's in your heart. Just like where you spend your time, who you spend your time with. All these things. And I'm just saying all these things. And this is, you could call it even an introductory um, um, session or series to the issue of the heart because to be honest, it's something that we can discuss over a longer period, but, but at least it starts to get, get us thinking about these things. That the next time you come across the word heart in the Bible, you now apply your mind. You now st start thinking about these things. What is the word saying about that? But ultimately, where is your heart? Because wherever you find your heart, wherever you find your treasure, that's where you find your heart. That which is important to you from a time perspective, relationship perspective, finances perspective, all aspects of your life, what you value the most is where you find your heart. And the encouragement is, it's always best to have in our hearts what's on God's heart. So that means we really need to spend our time trying to know and do what's on God's heart. And thank God for knowing the, the heart of God we already know because it's written. We know that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that God desires us to know him and for him to be known. That we already know. It's just a matter of executing that. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.